As we begin today, once again, I'm going to invite us to read our mission statement together to remind us so that together we can live into it together. Friends, we are a family of faith called to grow in the love of Christ, share that good news, and serve the world. Or simply put, we're called to grow, share, and serve. When I was a child, I was always taught to share what I had with others, not to be stingy with what I'd been given. I hope that is what you were taught as well, because we know that sharing is a good thing. But I find when it comes to the church and it comes to our faith, that sharing can be a little harder than just letting someone borrow something from you or letting someone use something that belongs to you. I remember when I was serving my last congregation in Columbia, South Carolina, I took a week of study leave to go away for a while to to get a little rejuvenation. You know, ministry is very fulfilling. It's a wonderful calling, but just like any other calling, it can be tiring and draining at times. And even pastors need to get away on a vacation or time away spent to be renewed. So nonetheless, I booked a flight from Columbia, South Carolina to Tampa, Florida. I was going to attend an evangelism conference that was sponsored by the Presbyterian Church there. And my position in that church was middle school youth and evangelism. So this was going to help me be a better pastor. And so as I went to the airport, I got there and I boarded the plane. And once I got situated in my seat, I had my backpack with me and I pulled out a book that I wanted to read on the flight there. Apparently, that book had the word Jesus somewhere in the title. I don't remember what book it was. But there was a gentleman who sat right next to me. And before we even took off from Columbia, he looked over at me and he said, Are you a Christian? Now, I have to confess, because you know we're in church and we're all people of God here. But... Many of you know me as an extroverted person. I I enjoy talking with folks, and I really like talking to people about Jesus. That's kind of what I get paid to do. But I was taking this trip to get away from that. I was taking this trip to have a respite from talking to everybody. And even extroverts need a little introversion every now and then. So as I'm sitting here, and as this man is inquiring of me, are you a Christian, I am thinking to myself, are you serious? Can I not just have some quiet time to myself? Do I lie to get this man off my back? No, that would not be very Christian. I knew in my heart of hearts that once I answered this guy's question, that he was going to talk my head off the entire trip to Florida. So, I finally responded that I was a Christian, and immediately he asked me the next question, which was, well, are you a pastor? And I thought to myself, not again. At this point, I knew there was no turning back. So, I answered him, yes, I am. At that point, he began to share his life story with me. And now he had had a bad experience of church growing up. To him, Christians were just, well, filled with condemnation and judgment, not so much grace-filled. And at first I was irritated that of all the people on that plane that I could be sitting next to, it happened to be this guy. I just wanted a break. 
but it was clear to me that God had predestined this encounter, that he had put me in a position to share his good news with him. And so I listened. I listened to his struggles and tried to assure him that what he had experienced before this good news is not the good news that Jesus truly brings us. I put my book away and we talked all the way to Tampa. Now I have to tell you, I didn't convince him to embrace Christianity, nor did he become a convert by the time we landed in Florida. But I truly believe that a seed was planted that enabled him to see things a bit differently than he had before. And truth be told, it wasn't because I had theological training. It's not because I'm some skilled theologian. It had more to do with the way that I interacted with him, not being judgmental about his doubts and not treating him as a lost pagan soul doomed to hell. You see, there's a little irony that exists in this story. I was headed to an evangelism conference, and I was frustrated that God had given me an opportunity to evangelize on the way to it. Even pastors, I find, have their moments when they think that they are off duty, when God reminds us that there's no such thing. You see, for Christians, I've got news for you, church. Evangelism Sharing the good news of Jesus is not something that we get to take a vacation from. Evangelism is a part of our calling together as Christ's disciples. It comes with the job description, but too often we choose to ignore this piece and we remain silent. And I believe that our scriptures today from Romans and from Matthew remind us that sharing the good news is essential to the church's mission. In fact, Jesus commands us of this in his great commission, saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." In his resurrection, Jesus has been given all authority on heaven and earth, and then he commands his disciples with that authority to go and to make more disciples. Now, this requires them to get out of their comfort zones, to to go where people are already and intentionally share what Jesus has done for them. They are essentially called to share their life's experiences with Jesus and his work in their lives. And this proclamation is about Jesus' love and grace that's extended to all sinners. That he has conquered death in his resurrection, offering eternal life to those who trust in him and believe. Jesus has called them to go and to share this good news with everyone. In fact, he calls them to make disciples of all nations, which literally in Greek means the Gentiles. It's not just for Israel anymore. It's now for everybody. But in the New Testament, the disciples are given another title. They are often called apostles. And apostles, literally in the Greek, simply means sent ones. They are called to go, to be sent out. 
this command from Jesus gives them permission to go out and to proclaim his good news to both the Jews and to the Gentiles, which declares that his radical love in the world is not just for the people of Israel. What Jesus is asking them to do is to model his own ministry that they have been a part of from the beginning He traveled all over Israel teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus offered healing to those who were sick. He freed those who were oppressed. And he welcomed the sinner to discover God's love and forgiveness. Jesus did not remain in the local synagogue, nor did he camp out at the temple in Jerusalem waiting for people to come to him. Jesus certainly worshipped at the temple. He practiced the customs of the Jewish people. Jesus went to the local synagogue and listened to the Word of God read from the scrolls. But his ministry went beyond the walls of the church. And so he commands his disciples, his apostles, to do the same. And the Apostle Paul declares that God has done a new thing in Jesus He says that Moses has given the written law that righteousness might be achieved through obeying it. But that what Jesus has done is something entirely different. That Jesus has done what you and I cannot do for ourselves. That he actually has obeyed the law to the very end without sinning. And in doing so, in giving his life for us we have been given the opportunity to be made righteous, not because we've obeyed the law, but by His grace through faith in Him that we are righteous because Jesus gifts it to us. In other words, we can't earn our salvation by doing all the right things. Jesus gifts this to us through faith in Him. And so this new word has been given about for a a new day. And Paul says that this word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul says that God has done a new thing in Jesus. It frees us to believe and trust in him for our salvation and not in our own striving to earn it. And this good news is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This, friends, is the good news of Jesus. This is what evangelism is all about. However, many like the man on my flight to Florida have seen evangelism in a negative light. For them, the good news isn't good news at all. It's often forced on them with the simple message of repent or burn. There are many street preachers that use bullhorns and stand on street corners yelling at people. Saying more about what they are against rather than what they stand for. A colleague of mine posted on his social media page the other day from a a pastor theologian named John Allen Turner. And he says this, It's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. 
Think about that. It's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. You see, it's very important for the church to bear witness to the good news. Otherwise, this news can be distorted, misrepresented, often doing more harm than good. Paul says, well, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, like those first apostles, we too are commissioned by Jesus to go, to be sent, to bring that good news. But I find that so often the institutional church seeks to do evangelism through great marketing techniques If we just have an appealing website, people can Google us and they will see how great we are and they'll want to be here. Or if we just had a scrolly sign out on the street out here, then everyone would see everything that we're doing and they would want to come here. Or if we just had that old school sign like we have out there and put clever sayings on it that people could laugh about, they would say, they're a funny church, we should go and be with them. Or if we want to be really boring, we could just say, let's put it in Watauga Democrat that we have services and maybe somebody will stumble on it and say, oh, there's a Presbyterian church, let's go there. There's nothing wrong with those things. They're good things. Sometimes people show up because they stumbled on our website or they Googled us or they saw our sign out front. But if that is our only mode of evangelism in the Christian church, then we have missed out on our calling as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have missed our identity together as sent ones, people who are sent beyond themselves to share the good news. We can't just pray that people will stumble upon us and walk into worship and say, now this is where I'm supposed to be. That is not how Jesus approached ministry. He sought out the lost within the community meeting them where they were, and he calls us to do the same. But so often sharing the good news, it can be hard for us to do. And I find that good Presbyterians prefer to do this evangelism through what we call mission. We take this idea of serving that Jesus tells us to do very seriously And so we know that Jesus cares about us. He cares about our spiritual needs, but he also cares about our physical needs. And so we find that it's important for us to do the same, to share Christ's love in the way in which we serve one another. I mean, that's why we feed the hungry with food for families all summer long. That's that's why why we participate in providing clean water in Chiapas and in Haiti because we know that people need that. That's important. It's why we serve our Latino neighbors in Bradford Park at Thanksgiving. It's why we invite our friends from the hospitality house to have Thanksgiving meal with us. That's why we do the angel tree ministry. That's why we do all the things that we do together in this church. We are a missional congregation. We care about people, and Jesus cares about them too. But it's important that when we do mission together... 
that we share why we are doing it. Because our mission is rooted in Christ. It isn't just because we think it's a good idea to do these things. It's rooted because Jesus says, you need to do these things. This is what Christ's love means as you care for people in the world. Otherwise, the mission of the church to care for the poor and for the marginalized, it then is reduced to nothing more than social justice without Jesus. Those served can't call upon the one they don't believe in, and they can't believe in the one whom they've not heard. We must be mindful of sharing the good news of Jesus, even through our mission work together. But that's not the only way of sharing the good news. So I want to shock and awe you Presbyterians because we've done the mission thing. Now I want to talk about talking about it because it's actually in the Bible that we're supposed to do this. Scripture gives us multiple ways, actually, that we're called to share our faith. If you read in the Gospel of John, in the very first chapter, you find that Jesus calls some fishermen to follow him. And then he goes and asks another guy to follow him by the name of Philip. And Philip does so, but before Philip runs off with Jesus, he runs off and finds his friend Nathaniel. And he says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, we have found the one that Moses has spoken about and that the prophets have written of. You need to come see him. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Philip responds back, come and see. Come and see. His approach isn't hard. He's gone to his friend and he has invited him to come and to see Jesus for himself. And I believe that we're called to do the same. We have friends among us who need Jesus, who haven't been to church in a long time for whatever reason. Invite them. Invite them to come and see. Secondly, we preach about Pentecost every year, at least on Pentecost Sunday. And in the book of Acts, when the Spirit of God comes upon the disciples at Pentecost, as promised by Jesus, they begin to preach in different tongues. And many people come to a faith in Jesus Christ there at, at the festival of Pentecost. And that's when the first megachurch was created, right? Right there in Jerusalem. And as they began to gather together and be the church and li- live into that together, Luke tells us this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church bore witness to Jesus in their obedience to God's Word. Eating and praying together, caring for the needs of others above themselves, and by allowing God 
to use them to perform his miracles and his signs and wonders. And you know, sometimes we think about miracles in terms of healing and that sort of thing, and certainly there were all kinds of miracles like that. But sometimes I wonder, is the miracle really just being the church and having everything in common and being united together and bearing witness to what that looks like in the world where it's so divisive and broken all around us? Maybe that's the greatest miracle. And the interesting thing is they had such a profound impact on those who watched them from a distance because they saw what they were doing and they wanted to be a part of it. And they joined those apostles, those disciples. And The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lastly, Sometimes God can just put us in particular situations at just the right time. In the book of Acts, later on, chapter 8, Philip once again is led by the Spirit to a desert road. And he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch who had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah in his hands. And he was reading it, but he didn't understand anything that he was reading. And so Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, well, I can't understand it if someone doesn't explain it to me. The eunuch then asked Philip, tell me please, who was the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You see, it is possible that God might place you right next to a troubled soul on an airplane Or maybe somebody in the drugstore or the grocery store asks you why you have this smudged cross and ashes on your forehead right after you left the Ash Wednesday service. It's possible that you have a colleague who's just experienced a horrible tragedy and needs to hear a word of hope and consolation. Or maybe you know someone who's struggling financially or with their physical health, or even with their mental health, and they need to know that there is someone that they can put their hope and their trust in, someone who will never leave them or forsake them. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but I find that everyone is a seeker. We all seek something to give us meaning and purpose in our lives, belonging and help. And trust. And there are some who find it in all the wrong things, but we are called to help them find it in Jesus Christ, the one who has called us, the one who's claimed us, the one who's redeemed us and saved us, and the one who guides us every day. We don't have to be theologians to share the good news. Because we've all experienced it for ourselves. And the truth is, is that all of us have a story to share. And the other truth is that there are other people who have similar stories and who have been in similar situations who need to hear your story and your witness to help them. But keeping it to ourselves, it doesn't live into our calling or into our mission together as God's church. Here is something really important that I want you to understand. And this is really important for us. It is not our job 
to save or convert others. God does not put that on our shoulders when he tells us to share his good news. That's not our responsibility. We are not the Savior, but we worship the Savior, and his name is Jesus. And our faith in him leads us to share this good news with our lips and with our mouths, with our hearts, and even with our feet. Our job is to share. God's job is to use our sharing to lead others to the good news of his salvation. We're planting seeds. God is the one who will cultivate them. He is the one who will water them. He is the one who will make them grow. Our call is to plant, to share. And church, I assure you that you have nothing to fear in doing it because you serve a God who is very capable of helping us. A God who promises to be with us. A God who told us even that the Holy Spirit would reside within us and even give us the right words to say when we find ourselves in just those types of situations. But we do have a choice. And that choice is to be silent or to speak up. And I can assure you that if you speak up and plant that seed, God is faithful to work, to cultivate, and to bring that seed to harvest. So friends, may we be faithful to share that good news wherever we go and wherever God sends us together. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.